Hello friends, Jazza here. Rowan is still out for now, so I am bravely soldiering on with guests in her stead. This episode, the joyous artist David Puck is joining me. Thank you for your understanding. Now, on with the episode. Welcome to the Queer Movie Podcast, celebrating the best... And worst in LGBTQ plus cinema, one glorious genre at a time. I'm David Puck, and I'm Jazza John. Each episode, we discuss a movie from a different genre of cinema. This episode genre is queer, queer musicals. musicals. Oh, very good! You did that so well. Well done. At time of recording, the WA strike has ended, but the SAG after strike continues, and we continue to support the striking actors, and therefore are not covering any struck work. Luckily, A24 continues to exist and have agreed to all of the terms of the strikers. So we're back reviewing another one of their pieces of work, and it's their first ever musical this time. So that's very exciting. This episode, I'm joined by David Buck. Puck, hello David. Hi, I'm David Bock. <laughs> hello David Bock, Bock, Bock. Um, People always have to ask me how to spell it, so it's Puck with a P, like a hockey puck, or a naughty F word with a P. Excellent, yeah. thank you. They are going to see it written down in the show notes as well, though, and hopefully in the title. Okay, well you can also read it then. <laughs> yes, you can read it as it has been written down. David, you're an esteemed muralist drag performer, improv star taking New York City by storm. What kind of expertise do you bring to the genre of queer musicality? Well, I've only gone and written one myself, haven't I? Yes, you have. God damn it. Yeah, I, so as you just said, I'm a drag artist and mm-hmm. an improv performer. I'm very, very queer. Mm-hmm. If the listeners at home cannot see, I'm donned <laughs> in a rainbow sparkly outfit. Constantly rainbow. It's a bit overbearing, to be completely honest. Yes, mm. thank you for putting the unicorn in the stables also. <laughs> You're welcome. The stables in Williamsburg. Yeah, I like I like to keep the stables open for my friends whenever they come round with their whimsical animals. Yeah, it's very mm-hmm. very considerate of you. So yeah, I do that. So I'm very queer and I write musicals. I do musical improv, which is the people we're going to be discussing. That's the world they also come from, mm-hmm. where you improvise, you make up on the spot a brand new musical every performance, mm-hmm. which is insane it is insane and it, i'm always blown away by the performances not only that you do but that people are able to do in specifically musical improv because improv is fucking hard enough to be completely honest and um, often i like things that i see in improv more than i like scripted things <laughs> i don't know how that's possible but it just is but I, anyway i do all of that and i'm very very good at it you are very very good i can confirm so we're gonna go on and start this episode but before we let our mother's disembodied vagina go to town on the face of a public sanitation worker what's the gayest thing that you've done recently david oh my god so many oh my god this is a horrible story how pg do we have to be please don't get us banned <laughs> i don't know how because this is what comes to mind and so on sun this sunday i'm going to be dressed as a giant sexy foot and i'm going to be <laughs> announcing my embarrassing sexual stories to the audience amazing through song amazing beautiful yeah, yeah. and this is one of the stories so i guess just stop me if it feels I think, can can you dressing up and preparing to dress up as a foot be the sexiest, be the, <laughs> the gayest thing that you've done? Because I'm really worried. You mean that's enough? <laughs> that's enough, That's I think. enough. We did have this problem when Nova and Olympia were co-hosting with me and they were like, it's really, it's quite hard to ask a drag queen what's the gayest thing you've done recently because it's always going to be, it's going to blow everything out of the water. For me, anyway, the gayest thing is usually I went on a date and have confirmed that, I, yes, I am. I am continuing to be to be a gay. Mm. Uh, I don't yep. know what I've done. Oh, I went to a gala yesterday that Dominique Jackson was at. That was pretty cool, actually. I was only two tables away from her. She's very tall. She's the one from Pose, right? She's the one from Pose, okay, good. yes. I am very gay and I like gay things, but I'm not good at remembering names or faces. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> but I remember Pose and I know who she is now. Well, I was at a party that one of the judges from Drag Race Germany was at. Oh, the lady who doesn't actually speak German. What's her name? 
I don't know because I did not recognize her, but somebody told me that she was a judge. Uh, also, yours still wins, so I don't know why I said it as if I was one-upping you. <laughs> yours is still better. Amazing. In this episode, we'll first be talking a little bit about the improv scene in New York, where I live. That's the city where I live, as it is the primordial soup from which this film sprung, and a world that David is very much familiar with. We will then be splitting the film into three acts for your convenient consumption, of course, including the party in its aftermath. Somewhere in this, uh, it's a meandering screenplay. Let's just say that. We're also going to be spoiling all of this movie. So this is for people who have seen the movie or listened to the soundtrack or don't care about the movie being spoiled. Will sound good, David? That sounds amazing. I know, right? Um, A significant amount of it is about you as well. So that will be fun. If I wasn't in it, I would want to listen to it. (laughs) Good. Excellent. So without further ado, let's spit luncheon meat into the mouths of our sewer boys and watch Dicks the Musical. That'll make more sense when you see the movie. (laughs) That's the point. (laughs) So Dicks the Musical, it's directed by Larry Charles, who did all of the Borat movies like Borat Bruno and The Dictator is the director of this and this is based on an adaptation of an off-Broadway performance by Joshua Sharp and Aaron Jackson both of whom nearly a decade ago were part of the Upright Citizens Brigade which is a famous theatre in New York that does improvisation interestingly the Facebook event is still is still up from like 2014 when this was actually on Broadway and it's based on a performance called Fucking Identical Twins which I am disappointed that name didn't flow over to this but I want to understand from you David because this is your world I occasionally dip into the world every now and again when you're like someone please come and see my show and I will come and see your show but what is it like being kind of like a queer comedian and improver in this world? Well, I have two things to say first. Number one, I just Googled Larry Charles and he looks like a cowboy. He does look like a cowboy. Which is very exciting. Yeah, And yeah. number two, you do not come to my shows. I do come to your show. You have a lot of shows, David. That's true. You come to some of them. <laughs> yeah. What was the question again? <laughs> What's it like? What is it like coming to New York? You came to New York specifically to do more like improv and, and comedy stuff and more drag. The world that you're in is really similar to the world that Aaron Jackson and Joshua Sharp kind of like started in. What's it like being in this world? Is it competitive? Has it got camaraderie? Show us a little bit of behind the scenes. Yeah, it, oh, it's so interesting because, yeah, I, I did. You're right. I moved to New York for improv specifically and also drag and other types of performance. And I know Aaron. We have like worked together. Oh, before. hold on! You just you dropped a name. No. <laughs> <laughs> I also know Megan the Stallion. We're like best friends. But it's funny because I I've talked to Bowman Yang on uh, on Grinder before. So they, here we go. We basically know this cast in, in intimately. <laughs> but yeah, it's actually a funny story about how I came to know them because during the pandemic, UCB New York improv shows were on YouTube. They still are, actually. Mm-hmm. You can Google UCB NY. And Aaron was in a lot of them. And I noticed him as someone who just made me laugh so much and then one time wore a Bob the Drag Queen t-shirt. Mm-hmm. So I was like, great, drag. And then I ended up reaching out to him to work together on a painting project. And then it went on from there. But it, it's just quite funny. Even before I moved to New York, like knowing him from the improv world and especially from UCB, And what's interesting, New York is UCB went away Mm -hmm. and it's now just now coming back. They just held auditions. This is like, it's meant to be one of the best improv kind of like schools, theatres in New York, at least, right? It's one of them. It's like the most well-known because that's where Amy Poehler and people like that came from. Yeah. So I would say improv, there's all these different, there's loads of different schools. To me, the most important thing about it is that it really fosters a community of like friendly support Mm -hmm. and just like goofy, wacky, silly people in Mm -hmm. which you're like encouraged to be in a space where you can be silly Mm -hmm. and you're not going to get criticized for that. And it really is like children playing. And that's what I love about it. And then it also leads to what I think can be really great performances as well. Mm -hmm. But like primarily, I think the main like, 
joy and the uniqueness of it compared to other art forms is that it's just so nice. Mm -hmm. I was in a rehearsal studio recently where Broadway shows use it and you can feel the glee energy. Oh, You can feel like you're going to get stabbed for a role. And I was thinking... <laughs> Someone's going to toss the pearls on the chest. And they did. And I <laughs> fell. <laughs> I can't walk anymore. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's what happened to Megan Mullally as well. That's why she's in a wheelchair. Yeah, this whole movie. movie. Yeah. But, and it's sad to me in a way that I think performing arts, like singing, dancing, acting, comedy... It's such a joyful thing that we all do as children. Like we all sing, we all dance. It's it's just a fun thing to do. Mm. But then because of needing it to be a profession, it then becomes this really competitive, cutthroat, glee-esque, horrible world, mm -hmm. which is to me really far away from the essence of what it is, which is art and mm -hmm. expression. And I think improv and is- play, And guess. play, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And improv is much closer to that. Having said all that, New York improv can still be very competitive and mm. especially UCB. UCB is known compared to other improv schools as being the one where it's like you go there if you want to get on SNL. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that glee energy. Is there truth energy, to that, do you think? Or is it just kind of like the stereotype of that particular theatre? I can't say firsthand because I don't do stuff there. Yeah, and you've I not been just... on SNL yet. No, <laughs> except in the background <laughs> when I snuck on set one day. <laughs> I mean, the truth, I would say, if people know improv from other cities, I would say doing improv in the UK and now coming to New York and doing it, overall, it's more of that feel. Like, people are more professionally minded with it. So you end up with, like, a lot of people that are like, I'm the star, mm -hmm. this is going to be my moment. Whereas in the UK, it's the opposite. And it's like pulling teeth, trying to get people to just like take their moment on stage. Like, mm -hmm. come on. So yeah, I, th I do think there's some truth to it. I can't say firsthand, but uh -huh. that is my sus suspicion. Your suspicion. Yes, and based on what people have told me. So this is the background of where this movie came from. It started as like something from people who met at UCB and then kind of convinced someone to fund a full-blown movie. For you as somebody who kind of like maybe understands the root of where this piece comes from better than I do and, and around people who are making this kind of stuff, can you see the influences of like the spaces that you're in now in this movie? Yes, I can. De and I thought a lot about improv while watching it. Mm-hmm. Definitely the sense of humor, the like completely wackadoodle. Mm -hmm. And actually, like, I'm so wackadoodle that I was like, I want it to be even crazier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is there anything in specifically that you're thinking of? I'm certainly thinking of some particular scenes. But, well, definitely the everything that came in the last 15 minutes. <laughs> The whole finale yeah. is very improv. Like, cause... The in the incest god wedding. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. That god is a faggot. I, mm -hmm, I'm, I'm going to mm -hmm. have that in my head for ages. And I think the sewer monsters, which come in earlier in the film, even just the characters, the fact that every character, even the protagonists, even though they end up being more so the grounded ones, kind of, all of the characters are very wackadoodle improv energy. Yeah. The, the pinnacle for me is Nathan Lane's character having to mouth feed these two horrific little sewer boy humanoid rat things that are... Pa we'll talk about it in more depth because I, I, I don't know what these things are. I loved it and it was batshit, but I have no idea what this was meant to be. But Nathan Lay, there's the outtakes, the bloopers at yeah. the end, and it looked like it looked like such a fun environment to be in mm. to film this movie. And I, I think the bloopers are coming back in as like a fashionable thing to put at the end of your movie recently. I think Bottoms also had like a blooper reel at the end of people corpsing and breaking character when they're doing their takes. And you see Nathan Lane being told for the first time to choose some luncheon meat and then spit it in these humanoid rat puppets' faces. And he's like, well, this might be the lowest point of my career. <laughs> and that, to me, felt like they've pushed it to a real, real ridiculous extreme that I think... It's so indicative of stuff like the, the improv space, especially here in New York, especially in Brooklyn as well, which is meant to be kind of like a bit cuckoo bananas, right? Yeah, because you, you can. When you, when you know it's like a one-off show and it's throwaway, it gives you that liberty to just really push things right. further. And, and part of the reason that I believe that improv can yield 
even better than scripted material is because you don't have that conscious analytical voice after the fact telling you, oh no, that's too weird. I mm-hmm, should pull mm-hmm, back from mm-hmm. that. It just, it happens. And people have this freedom to just do what comes to mind and to not have that self-judgment of, oh, this is too weird. And I feel like the film had that, yes. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I vote with that as well. Okay, cool. Now we're going to go into the plot of the movie. We're going to review this movie. We'll see if all of these notes that I made in the dark actually makes sense. <laughs> this, mu- th- this musical didn't make sense anyway, so it's okay if it didn't, it'll be on theme. Jazza was making notes and I was I turned to him and said, wait, should, should, I? should I be making notes? And I'm like, no, that's literally my job. You're my, <laughs> you're my, you're my sweet, sweet guest. It's fine. You know, it's weird. It's like seeing Dicks the musical as a name. I did not think that Dicks meant like dickhead. Like the main mm-hmm. characters are going to be Dicks. I just thought of the genital dick. So when they came on screen and it's like, oh, they're straight people who are assholes, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. dicks. <laughs> I have a feeling that if it were referring to anatomy, it wouldn't be able to be called that. But because it's like an expletive, someone's being a dickhead, then it makes it okay. It makes it more palatable yeah. for, for conservative audiences. Anyway, so we open, and I'm going to call the first act of this of this movie, Everyone Everywhere Comes at Once, because there are, throughout this film the fake movie posters and movie titles for lots of different takes on classical musicals. So there's Lube's The Word from Greece. Mm. There's a load of other ones that I did write down that I can't remember right now. But there were a load of very funny interpretations of different musicals. Timeshare the musical, which was Rent. And My Queer Lady, which is also another good one. And this, I feel like, (laughs) takes the musical genre... It takes some of its formulas and then completely desecrates them, <laughs> pretty much. We open up with a title card that explains how this was bravely written by two gay men who obviously is a demographic that never have never written anything before, which is incredibly brave. We also have two queer actors playing straight men which also is incredibly brave and then we open up on two queer men playing straight men having sex with women which is also really really brave and i was offended (laughs) spoiler Um, alert i'm very glad that they ended up not straight at the end (laughs) i mean they had chemistry all the way through and they literally have this throughout the movie when they're first introduced and they meet each other they touch the elevator button and they get electrocuted and it's like I interpreted it as the chemistry and the electrocution doesn't outline of the of each of the characters of the dicks giant well. penis yeah. I thought it was about to be a freaky Friday moment and they were going to switch bodies well it was still a Lindsay Lohan moment because this is yeah. basically this musical is basically the parent trap but with two gay twins that don't actually look like one another so we have the gay twins they are craig and larry played by joshua sharp and aaron jackson who and also did i the... mention aaron i know aaron yes did yeah I yeah best fr- close friend of the pod aaron yeah um, practically and also, family and also close friend of the pod born yang plays god throughout this plays yeah. gay god so we're deeply meshed within the cast of this movie we were basically in the movie we were basically actually yeah i'm megan the stallion this is actually this is just a mask this is a a character that I've been playing. But we have these two characters who are respectively a pair of kind of like the worst toxic masculinity. They have been, they're rich and they sing about being rich. They are the best sellers in their firm, which doesn't sell vacuum cleaners, but it very importantly sells vacuum cleaner parts. Their two firms are being merged together and they meet for the first time on the day that their two offices merge and they're like i'm the top seller no i'm the top seller and then they have a little bit of a jostle with one another i don't know about you but i felt like this was a bit of a slow start to what ends up being an absolutely cuckoo bananas movie how did you think feel about like the the opening of the film 
Yeah, I agree that it feels kind of like a roller coaster where you start very slow、mm-hmm. and then it's like, oh, we're going up. And then suddenly at the end, you get that, whoo, off we go.、Mm-hmm. Which also, to bring it back to the beginning topic, is very improv.、Mm-hmm. Like, that's what you're taught to do is you set this normal base reality and then the weird thing comes and then you heighten, heighten, heighten. And by the end, it's just cuckoo bananas. Yeah. So that is like the formula for comedy、okay. that is like taught. I do still think it started very caricature ish, though, because one, there's the running gag that. They're twins when they don't look yeah, alike. Yeah, they're at identical、all. twins. Like they meet Megan Lee Stallion, who is their boss, and she's like, Oh, you two could have been separated at birth. Spoiler, they were separated at birth. Yeah. And they don't. I mean, there is a little bit of boyfriend twins energy to them. They're like a similar height, similar build, but they are very obviously not twins. But one of them has long hair, which I think is ultimately the most important part of the entire movie. Of course.、Yeah. I do think that's the defining trait, not、mm-hmm. just in Aaron's life, but in all of our lives. I will say it made me really miss having long hair because I thought <laughs> it looked so fabulous. I was like, why did I shave it off? What an idiot. It's going to take me years to get it back to that. Just get a wig like they did in the movie. The, a, a nice, simple shake and go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people think you always need a lace front, but you don't. You no, just, exactly. What was the recurring line? And they said, like, oh, it looks shit and、It's、shitty and trashy, or something、yeah. like that. You can right, just yeah. have a shitty, trashy wig.、Mm-hmm. So, also, I thought this might sound shady, but the beginning is their characters are like these caricatures of alpha male, alpha、mm-hmm. straight men,、mm-hmm. right? Whereas I think Josh and Aaron both know that they do not look like that or give off that energy. No. Yeah, just, just the, the way they hold themselves. And they know what they're doing. Like they're playing into this, the natural queerness of themselves as individuals, I think, and the slight effeminate energy that I think both of them have. I think it's quite, some people might call it simple, but I really enjoyed seeing this ridiculousness of like the play on straight actors taking queer roles and flipping that on its head and showing how. Ridiculous. Yeah. It is. I, I actually really enjoyed that as kind of like a meta commentary that they brought to this. Yeah. I also thought it said something about like beauty standards as well. Oh, go on. Well, again, <laughs> I'm worried. Okay. I'm worried that it's going to sound shitty, but it's like, I think they're both very handsome, nice looking people, but they don't look like Ryan Gosling, right?、Sure. So, having people that look like that play the role that these sort of Brad Pitt style people、mm-hmm. would usually do,、mm-hmm. to me, it put a mirror on that idea of like, what is masculinity? Like, what do we see as this? Who's、mm-hmm. even allowed to be,、uh, I'm a big dick, alpha male, sell the most type of man? Because it always looks a certain way. It's、mm-hmm. always a Superman looking person. So, you think Aaron and Joshua are ugly? Cool, cool, cool. No, no I think that's totally fine. <laughs> Um, uh, we've got it on record now, and people are going to hear.、Uh, so, we're introduced, their companies are merging. We're introduced to their boss, Megan Lee Stallion. Her opening line is something along the lines of, Healthcare is a luxury bitch. And they, <laughs> they're like, Oh, wow, a woman boss in whatever year this is. And Megan goes, Year of the pussy, <laughs> which I, I really enjoyed. Apart from this, and like the one song that she has later, David, I don't know why Megan Lee Stallion is in this movie. It feels so left of field. And I appreciate that she is in a phase of her career of saying yes to absolutely everything. But it felt really clear to me that they had her on set for like a day. She was only ever in the scenes in like this corner. It looked like a loading bay that they'd put some desks in for the musical. And like, don't get me wrong, she's late. Her song performance was really good. She's a really outstanding rapper. But she's just so out of place in this whole film. I don't know what the point of her was. I, so I kind of feel this is like, I feel like my trend for today is going to be like, David's overanalyzing everything. <laughs> I love that. What meta commentary did Megan Lee Stallion being here have? So I think <laughs> what we have to do is go back to the inception. The thing is, she has two E's in her name. <laughs> okay. Now, well, I do think that there is meta, you mentioned it as well, there's, me, there's meta humor throughout the whole film. And like at the end, they end up being in a film studio. Yeah. You know, so like the whole thing is very meta, which again is very improv. Improv people love. Love to go meta、mm-hmm. and、um, break the fourth wall, yeah. And I feel like that's what Megan's character also was because after her amazing number, which was one of my favorites, 
Bowen Yang as God goes, well, that was fun, wasn't it? Now back to the story. And that made me laugh so much because it's like you're recognizing that like it doesn't fit. It's just fun because it's Megan Thee Stallion doing a number about how women are amazing. Which sounds like it would come off like like it's an actual single of hers. Like it's like female empowerment. I feel like maybe they they wrote this. I like to think that, that maybe they wrote the song and then they were like, this is a Megan Thee Stallion song and then they asked her to be part of it i quite like that as the origin story for it i don't know if that's true i was curious about that like if she wrote her own song and then they fit it into the musical or like because can you imagine josh and aaron writing lyrics for megan (laughs) i can't imagine that it's like i saw recently do you know the film with julia styles where she's goes to an all-black school and she's a ballet dancer who learns to oh save the last dance yeah i love that movie but i don't want to watch it again because i fear that it has um aged poorly it has aged so badly it's so so cringe and what's particularly bad about it is the way the black characters are written and i saw a, a thing about it recently where it was like this is why and showed a picture of the writer and it was like a 60 year old white guy and he's writing black character you know and I'm like no wonder it's cringe I have a friend who is currently is an an older millennial than us is writing a Gen Z like high school movie and and it keeps on being like how do how do Gen Z say go out with someone or fancy someone and like maybe maybe you shouldn't be writing the Gen Z movie yeah. Maybe this isn't the contribution you should take. That's um, going to become an unintentional comedy. I hope so. I can't wait. I'll laugh. So we we have the two guys. They say that they they have a song. This is a musical, by the way. They have a song where they sing about being sad and lonely. No one can understand me apart from the guy who happens to have been born on the same day of the same year a minute apart from me where we find out that craig is a minute older than trevor which i don't think is an important fact but we do know who came out first and then they decide they see they pull out their lockets they show they see that the lockets go together and together they spell our two boys which is cute and then it's the freaky friday thing they decide to dress up as one another. And by dress up, they wear terrible wigs to look like the other brother. And then they go off to the opposite parent to try and get them to get back together because single parent homes are not families. Yeah. Mm. And that was the moment where I audibly said in the cinema, thankfully there wasn't that many people there, but I audibly said, oh, it's the parent trap. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I was, it, it is. The plot is the parent. It's a wackadoodle parent trap. It's parent trap if Lindsay Lohan had written it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So we are introduced to now the two parents. I've already mentioned that Nathan Lane plays the dad, who, surprise, surprise, it's Nathan Lane. This character is gay, but we don't know yet. We find out in the hot second. And the mum is played by Megan Mullally, who, if you don't know, is really famous for playing... What's her name? Karen. Karen. In Will and Grace. And... Karen before Karens were Karens. Yes. Which is a shame now that that name has aged so poorly. It has. But she plays Karen in Will and Grace, Karen and Jack being the the true stars of that show. And she's also in the Eminem adverts. As the green Eminem? No, she kind of walks around the Eminems. She's like a human in standing next to human-sized Eminems. It's kind of jarring. But she sings in it, which is quite... I didn't know she could sing. Oh, I did, but I think only because of the Eminem commercials that she's in. I also didn't recognise her. It took me a while. And then I turned to you and I was like, oh, that's Megan Mullaney. And I got her name wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, it's closer. I also... But Mulali sounds more made up. Because it sounds like, like Lulali, like... Doolally. It's like she's made up. Yeah, well, she is made up. She's just a concept. She could be. She's actually just AI generated. This is this whole thing is ChatGPT. What the hell was she doing? I feel like this is also an improv character. Like she's got a. She's heavily adorned with like feathers, loads of jewelry. She's like an eccentric Upper East Side mother who clearly is in a rent-controlled apartment. Spent like has to spend like two hundred dollars a month on rent, so hasn't had to leave the house in what sounds like years. She has a 
really affected Lisp that honestly that is a funny character choice but also makes it really difficult to understand what she's saying quite a lot of the time but she is having this to and fro with with Aaron and I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of this was kind of like an improvised scene they have one particular scene where she's pointing to a load of trinkets on the walls and you see Aaron break character a couple of times and laugh a couple of times which I really enjoyed what did you think about this Megan Mullally character? She was wackadoodle, mm-hmm. wasn't she? Yeah, I I mean, I thought it was fun. I loved the moment you're talking about with the pointing. Because mm-hmm. just gags that keep going, Yeah, I love. Yeah. And there's a, quite a few of them in this film. Like one is, She keeps forgetting how old she is as yeah. well. Like, she's like, I remember the Nazis. Are they still around? Or the moment where she, she goes, yay, and kicks her leg up and then does it like another four <laughs> times. It's like, if you just keep doing something, it becomes funny when you just keep going. There's a lot of moments where people hold on to noises mm-hmm. for just too long. Yeah. And then it becomes... So I, I find that really funny. She is, she, it's a crazy character. Mm-hmm. I think that was the one thing, because I love, I love crazy. I'm mm-hmm. like, it tickles me. Yeah. But the one thing that was, everyone was crazy. Because even the protagonists, like, were introduced to them as these, like, asshole men. So, mm-hmm. so it was very, like, whoa. I think this film really asks you to, like, suspend your disbelief entirely. Like, we're in a world where pussies come off of bodies and fly and have eyes. <laughs> we're in a world where there's sewer boys that are pets for gay men. Yeah. And, like, just everything is, you know... And that, actually, that bit, I'm not even entirely sure. Like, is this, an, is this an incredibly dysfunctional group of people within the real world? And then they find each other because they're so dysfunctional? Or is, are we just in a alternate universe that is insane? I like to think that this is actually just some normal people functioning in, uh, like, the, a normal world. And these are bananas people functioning in this world. The world is normal. Because I, s- I see, yes, and I, because I, I see enough of this in real people, to be honest. I think everything that they're bringing out has, like, a certain amount of truth in it. It's just been dulled up a crazy amount. For example, like we see this with Nathan Lane's character, the dad. So Craig goes over to meet his dad for the first time and they have mimosas. So we're we're already querying this. There's peacock decor on the walls. There's literally a dead peacock in the corner of the room as well. And Nathan Lane says, I'm gay. And then we're introduced to the sewer boys. Hey everybody, an ad read for you very quickly before we dive into the rest of this episode. This episode is brought to you by Ravensburger. Indulge in the timeless pleasure of assembling Ravensburger's extraordinary jigsaw puzzles. Ravensburger premium quality puzzles are crafted with meticulous attention to detail, bringing you an unparalleled puzzle-solving experience. With a rich heritage dating back to 1883, Ravensburg puzzles have become an integral part of families' lives across generations. Share the joy of puzzling with family and friends, knowing that your cherished puzzles will stand the test of time. Enjoy a mindful moment and immerse yourselves in a world of captivating colours, stunning imagery and intricate designs that will delight people of all ages, regardless of your preference or skill level. You can find a jigsaw puzzle that suits you perfectly thanks to the wide range of imagery, themes and piece counts available. You can start super, super small and work your way up to over 40,000 pieces, which is a little bit bananas to me. If you're up for that challenge, then why don't you go and shop Ravensburger on Amazon if you like today. We are also still supported by Squarespace, who can help you, dear listener, buy a domain and create a website. We always talk about how much we love using Squarespace for our website creation, giving us access to analytics, the creation of email campaigns and connecting all of your social media presence in one place. The design features really do make everything more accessible when you're building a website. You don't need to know any coding whatsoever and you can get all of your beautiful text and images aligned brilliantly so that you can make your website look very, very very sexy. 
We know you hear a lot of your favorite media and podcasts and stuff offering discount codes, but we'd really appreciate it if you considered using ours. If you're putting together a website for like a campaign or a wedding or something along those lines, it would really help us out and keep the Queer Movie podcast going. So go to squarespace.com slash queer movie. And when you are ready to check out with your domain name and or your website, you can use the offer code queer movie to save 10 percentage points off of your first purchase remember to go to squarespace.com slash queer movie now back to the show david what are the sewer boys what's the meta commentary what are what is it are they meant to be kind of like a play on like the older gay man having like a pool boy or like a house boy but they've turned them into anthropomorphic rats i don't know why they're here i don't know why they're wild the way that I understood them... Excellent. What's was, your reading? Well, the most important line to me was their gay culture. Their gay culture, I know. That's what I saw it as. Because it's like a lot, a lot... They're playing a lot, I think, with like straight view of gayness. But then like doing that back and forth like a ping ball machine until sure. you don't even know which way it's up anymore. Mm-hmm. And that... that to me is what that was. And then within the story, I actually think they had a very clear role, which is like, they're the reason that he couldn't connect with his actual family. And like, I did get a little bit of Got energy. Of, you know, people that are obsessed with their dogs and they treat their dogs like children. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, I wish I could come to your birthday party, but I've got to stay in with my dog. Mm-hmm. And it's like, your dog is stopping you from going to your friend's birthday party. Mm-hmm. I personally think that that is messed up. And so the sewer boys are the dog. Oh my god, you have you've actually made all of that make sense. <laughs> How did you manage to do that? Crazy logic. When you're crazy, you can understand crazy. <laughs> this is also the sea. Oh, they're called Backpack and Whisper, by the way. Did you catch that? What does that mean? Is that a reference? I don't know. <laughs> we should have looked this up. But yeah, they have names as well. But they're so the their um, characterization they're clearly not trying to look real and you see in the outtakes the green rods that are photoshopped out that kind of like move them they have these really horrific spiky teeth with like rat tails are standing on their hind legs but then also have like really chiseled bods that look like they belong on a grinder profile were you like inappropriately turned on tiny tiny bit but we this is the scene where we see uh, Nathan Lane feed deli meat to them by spitting it into the creatures' mouths. Yeah, which makes sense. That's how birds eat. Yeah. And we are birds in a way. We're connected in the evolutionary timeline. Yeah. <laughs> is that not how you eat your food, Chandler? <laughs> well, I, I masticate it and then spit it into my own mouth. I always think masticate, they should just change that word because it literally sounds just like masturbate. Like, That's why I like it, though. I think It who- sounds naughty, but it's not. Yeah, I think whoever came up with it was trolling the world. It worked. So Craig and Trevor meet up in Central Park and have a little bit of a debrief. They're like, oh, we're brothers, no homo. Then they sing a song about how no actually means yes and they need to, uh, to persevere with mum and dad. That was one of my favourite songs because to me, like, if you were to take the songs out of the musical, that was one of the ones that I think possibly could stand on its own that would be funny just on its own. Mm-hmm. To me. <laughs> to me. Not the... Personally. Okay, okay. That um, one in God is a Faggot. That one in God is a Faggot. Forget Megan the Stallion song oh hers too yeah i actually i actually think that those were two bigger standout you hear this a lot in a lot of the reviews of this movie that oh yeah megan the sadly has the only good song i can't actually really remember very much of it to be completely honest i just kept thinking of beyonce's who runs the world girls mm-hmm. so it's i similar think vibes. even while she was singing it or rapping it i just had beyonce in my head <laughs> So the two boys decide to set up mum and dad and take them to La Chateau, the most romantic restaurant in New York. I've, and then I've been there. <laughs> yeah. Here's, here's a moment that I can show that I'm cultured. Le mm-hmm. Chateau means castle in French. Wow. Thank you for that. We'd have never known if I didn't have you on this episode. Thank you. I went to France once. <laughs> Good. So we we now have the Megan the Megan song. The Megan song happens. Beyonce's song. The Be- 
I really liked it, actually. I was dancing. You looked at me in the cinema in a way that suggested stop dancing. I do find being in your presence in public often really embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's just what was happening there. There weren't many other people in the cinema, but that's what I was feeling. Everyone was gay. Everyone was gay. Oh, yeah, it was incredibly, incredibly gay. Not even queer, it was gay. All eight people. All of (laughs) them. In the whole cinema. So we find out that the two twins, they haven't been at work for two weeks. and Because of the wig. Because of the wig. Because of the wig. I just shouted that really loud. The wig. (laughs) And they come back at Megan and say, I don't know if estrogen makes you forgetful, which was a ridiculous line that I really enjoyed. You know what I do think, though, that if I was to be critical, Mm -hmm. if I can be critiquing, yeah, it, <laughs> you can. Am I a movie critic? One, you are now, babe. One thing that this film made me think of in general is like how, as a viewer for characters, when your character is crazy, mm-hmm. ultimately you still want to root for them. Mm-hmm. And there's moments like that that kind nearly throw me off because like they introduce them at the beginning as being assholes, which they are. Mm-hmm. But then I think they start to become more like, they're like endearing and adorable because Josh and Aaron both are and they're being more themselves. And then moments like that come out where I'm like, oh, wait, do I actually care if this family comes back together because you've just been horrible? Mm-hmm. But I know they're aware of that because Bowen Yang says at the end, like, they're misogynist, awful people. Yeah. But they still deserve love. Yeah. Yeah. And why aren't I in love? We then cut to dinner with the parents and this is what I'm calling the dinner party and its aftermath. So this is, uh, David, if you haven't listened to, a pod, to one of the episodes before, there is always in every queer movie, there is an act in the movie that revolves around a party, some kind of festivity and its aftermath. Very often it is the full movie is about a party happening and the aftermath of that party. Oh my God. And that doesn't happen in non-queer movies? Doesn't happen. Confirmed. Never happen. No parties in queer movies. No, this is a serious... In in straight movies. Straight movies don't have fun. This is a serious question. (laughs) Are parties really so central to queer lives that it always happens? It is. We have had to crowbar a party in its aftermath in a couple of times. Kind of like now, actually. I don't think the dinner party is really a party, is it? But broadly... There is very often a party that happens. Wow. A party didn't happen in Oppenheimer, did it? I didn't see it. It's fine. I'm on a movie podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So the parents have dinner. It's been 260 years since they last saw each other. Megan Mullally's character, she chokes chokes on on an oyster. oyster. She Um, chokes on an oyster because she eats the whole thing, shell included. included. And then Heimlich Maneuver, which as we all know from real life, Heimlich Maneuver is the most romantic of all of the maneuvers. Yeah. And then Nathan Lane goes over and touches her breast and then they have sex, full on sex in the middle of the, in the middle of the restaurant. And then they're kicked out. They say, oh, well, we're not getting back together, boys. The boys have been there watching the whole thing. They're like, oh, we're not going to get back together. Nathan Lane says, I do fuck men, not as often as I like, but whenever I get the chance and same. I was literally just going to say, did you feel seen? I felt very seen. Like my story is being told. (laughs) Finally. And they say that they're not getting back together, the two boys, because they always win. They always get what they want. They are really sad because they're not going to get what they want this time and so they are spiral into depression and grow really really long beards and And they manage to get in some like societal commentary people who look like me always get what i want Mm -hmm. so i that was sort of slid in there you know yeah not just the comedy when we're talking about life and (laughs) making reflections exactly they then how does this happen why do they get kidnapped so the parents... Thank you. You paid attention. Yeah. So what? So basically, up until now, it's been the parent trap. Yes. And the parent trap failed. So then the parents having the aftermath of that is like, okay, now we have to child trap in Got order it. to not as bring good of our a, family back together. Not as good as a, of a title, that child trap. I feel like that would get flagged for things. <laughs> But that's why they're mm-hmm. trying. They're like, oh, look, this family has come back together. We've reconnected. 
but now the boys are not happy. So let's find a way to make this a strange family mm-hmm. again. So I'm not sure how this happened. Nathan Lane tries to feed the sewer boys again. And then Craig throws the luncheon meat into the toilet. Yes, which makes the sewer boys angry. Yes, and they, they break out. Because the they, they love the meat. Out. And they yeah. are, as was flagged, foreshadowing earlier in the film, they do often get out. Yes. This time, though, they decide to go down the toilet mm-hmm. and escape back to the sewers. Which, in my mind, made me think, do they really want to be there? Suddenly, do dogs really want to be in your house or have you trapped them? Should we release all the dogs back to the woods? I think so. Let's do it. Let's start a charity or something. It'll be a proper effort. I agree. I said it as a question, but really what I meant is... This is a business proposition. (laughs) I was trying to be alluring. Mm -hmm. So everybody, the four of them, follow the sewer boys down to the sewers. It is the least set-dressed sewer I think I've ever seen in a movie. It's very Scooby-Doo. Very Scooby-Doo. It's very clean. It doesn't look like there's very much sewer, sewage in the sewers. But they do sing in the song multiple times, and it smells like piss. Piss, piss. So we end up finding the sewer boys, but the sewer boys are about to be exterminated by a sewer worker, and then Megan Mullally opens up her purse and lets out her pussy, which, by the way, fell off of her several years ago. And it kind of looks like a face hugger. It has two little, like, eyes on stalks that come out, and then it opens the labia and has, like, a a horror mouth that then latches onto the face of the sewer worker and kills him. And then the sewer boys eat him. And then the sewer boys eat him after uh, Nathan Lane decides that they should now be free and live down in the sewers where they want to be. Because they're back with their family. So the sewer boys No, thank you for taking over. (laughs) Yeah, so the sewer boys' parents are there. And by the way, they're very chill. And you can tell they're the parents because the dad is even more muscular. As you pointed out earlier, you were sexually aroused by the boys. The you dad. were even more sexually aroused by the dad. I was. You saw me. It was awkward for everyone involved. I'm so sorry. But while all this was happening, considering they look like dinosaurs that could do some damage and they do later <laughs> eat the worker, they're yeah. just kind of chilling in the background, like bobbing around like NPCs, yeah. just yeah. waiting mm-hmm. for the moment. But yeah, this, we see that the sewer boys do in fact love the dad, like your dog probably loves you. Mm-hmm. I know everybody hates me for saying that they shouldn't have dogs. But uh, yeah, they are released back to the family mm-hmm. so that he can also be with his Exactly. Family. The family's fixed now. Isn't that nice? The twins move in together and then lying in bed. <laughs> this is my favourite bit. I this think is... this might also be my yeah, favourite bit. It's so good. Basically, the twins create an OnlyFans. They, they're lying in bed, then they start to make out because they realise that they love themselves and therefore one another. So they're now incest twins they spit in each other's mouths and then have sex all over the apartment. Very graphic. Very graphic. Lots sex. of 69ing. Yeah, while walking. Yeah. Through the, which I've never, have you ever done that? I've never done that. I, I'm not going to comment. I've never done that. I don't know if I'd have the ability. I think I'd want to be the one that's upside down. You need to have, not that I have done this, but in order for this to be possible. <laughs> but here's an itemized <laughs> list of what you need in order to do you it. Need, basically, you need a, a, a size differential, usually. Like, you need someone who is significantly smaller than the other person. I mean, 69ing is difficult enough when you're lying down on a bed, let but alone when you're waddling around. I hear it's really, it's hard. You hear, you hear on the grapevine. On the grapevine, you read. Yeah. You read on a t- TikTok. They also, at the end, they say, our anal is easy. I don't even know what douching is, which is a, another really good commentary on how anal sex is portrayed in movies. Exactly. Straight gays of male gays. Wow, that's complicated. Straight G-A-Z-E mm-hmm. of gays. <laughs> that's really hard to say. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I, that annoys me. Even in media, even in gay porn, they never douche. No, we never see the douching, I be, I, but I do think that that is a full subgenre, David, that maybe you wouldn't be too interested in seeing. No, I'm not, but I just want more reality. Okay. Because <laughs> also another thing... More realistic porn, please. Not that I watch porn, but if I of did, course, yeah. another thing I would say is back when they used to use condoms in porn, mm-hmm. 
which if I watch porn, I would still see because, you know, old videos are still online. <laughs> they go, there's no pen, there's no condom. Mm-hmm. And then they go to have the anal. Suddenly the, condom's the condom is on, on the dick. And I'm yeah. like, who is putting... Show me the... Show me how to do it. Use it as sex education. Show me the awkward moment that the condom goes on the penis. Mm-hmm. Wait, who is this condom fairy? <laughs> exactly. It's not me. <laughs> no? Is that maybe I'm... a role that... I think you'd be good at that. I, if it paid, I would do it. <laughs> Um, so they're together now. Great, they're incest twins. Now we go into are the bloopers the the third act, and I'm calling it are the bloopers the best bit of this movie. <laughs> Wait, but we're not going to talk about God is a faggot. It happens later in the act. God is a faggot. Tell me what happens. They're getting married by God. Bowen Yang has been sassy throughout this thing. He is playing God in a truly awful, like, mirror ball outfit. God then appears... It's unclear to me why God is choosing to marry these two incest twins, but that's happening. And then a load of religious zealots from all religions, to be fair. There were some Buddhists in the back. Negative cohesion is a powerful force. Wow. Just let that hang in the air. I remember that from GCSE history. That's where that term came from. Amazing. That was a long time ago. (laughs) Oh, it's just a couple of weeks ago, right? <laughs> so they they get married. They all they then sing "God is a faggot," and then it's the end. Yeah, so they're getting married. The, the yeah, all of the religions, including the Buddhists, yeah. they're not Zen anymore. They mm-hmm. want to stop it, mm-hmm. and God basically comes to their aid and because of God trying to defend them from the religious zealots. And I really wanted God just to laser zap everyone. Yeah, yeah. I, and I did think that was going to happen. I was wrong a few times when I was like, I think I know what's going to happen now. I was right about Megan Lally jumping down the sewer in a wheelchair. <laughs> yes, I knew that, that was going to happen. Yeah. I actually thought she was going to leave her wheelchair behind, but she took the wheelchair with her. But yeah, so because he's come to their aid, Josh and Aaron, their characters then misinterpret God's speech about love is love Mm -hmm. and decide to just take one little bit of it, cherry pick the God is a faggot part. Mm -hmm. And then that becomes a whole song. And I loved this because... So love is love is like a pride statement, right? And you see yeah. it everywhere, like Citibank one and of the, Asda will put it on One of the characters that. at the beginning of the of the movie is wearing a love is love t-shirt. And it's mm-hmm. everywhere. And like, so I paint murals as well. I don't know if I mentioned that before. I'm very talented. I did. Yeah. Yeah, don't okay. worry. Thank I, you. I got you, boo. Don't worry. So, and I've done pride projects before where there'll be straight mural painters. And literally these words have been spoken to me like, oh, I don't have any connection to the queer community. So I'll just put love is love. Like that's the level of thought that has gone into mm-hmm. it. And then I'm I'm there as like a queer mural painter being like, oh great. <laughs> Thank you so much for your service. So I just love I I love the fact that they took that and completely messed with it. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and I love that it's twin says. It's twin says. Really- God says that there's gonna be a new new testament coming out, which I really New New like the Hoover from Tally like Yeah, actually that's what he meant. <laughs> Um, and then we see all of the outtakes, and I think the outtakes are probably my favourite bit of this film. Seeing everybody corpse, seeing Nathan Lane have to find out that he has to masticate luncheon meat and spit it into the mouth of a couple of anthropomorphic rats. Great. End of the movie. It definitely seemed like you said that everyone was having a lot of fun mm-hmm. on set. Oh, yes. 100%. It looked like it was an awful lot of fun to be there and to be making this movie. And I like that as like a trend that we're seeing kind of like a little bit more of the behind the scenes of movie making with bloopers. I like that they're becoming more common these days. Because it should be fun. It's like I said at the beginning, Mm -hmm. full circle moment for me on the podcast. But it's like, (laughs) it's art, it's play, it's fun, you Mm -hmm. know? Like, and I think that's great. Let's Mm -hmm. have fun. And if you're having fun, then it's fun to watch, I think. And having fun is all well and good, but we do have a rating system that we use here at the Queer Movie Podcast in order to rank all of our movies. So serious hats on, please, David. Okay. We give each movie a score out of six. Each one of those... Six? Yeah. Each one represents a stripe from the six-barred rainbow flag. 
I should have known when it didn't make sense that it would have something to do with the game. We're going to read out of six. Yeah, exactly. So broadly, each of the colors mean something. Red means life or sex. Orange means healing. Yellow means sunlight. Green means nature. Blue means harmony. And purple means spirit. So you can choose the number of bars that you're going to give the movie and which colors you're going to give it as well. Does that make sense? It does, but I feel like I have to call you out because what's with this 1980s flag, Jazza? Where's the Progress Pride flag? Be- we'll talk about it. Jazza There's a reason behind it. Progress. Because the six-barred flag have more broad interpretations for the colors, whereas when you get into the Progress flag, you start incorporating things that mean specific things, and that, I think, doesn't work as well. So there you go. That's why we use the six-barred one and not the Progress flag. Okay. It's just a fucking rating system, David. <laughs> <laughs> um, it doesn't need to mean anything. They're just sewer boy puppets. It doesn't need... That's what I feel like if they were to listen to this, that's what they their takeaway would be. Like, mm-hmm. you've read way too much into this. <laughs> we were just having fun and being silly. So how many... What's the rating that you would give Dix, the musical? Out of... Do I have to relate it to all the meanings you just Just say said? six and then what colours and don't think too much about it. It's just a stupid rating system. Okay, cool. Good. So out of six, what would I give? Okay, let me just do some clarification. I, personally, number one, I don't believe in rating. (laughs) I don't. And number two, it's very hard to judge this film because it is so different to everything else that is out there. And I think you're very much Marmite style. You're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and... I think if you hate it, then it's probably just not your taste of humor. Mm -hmm. Like it gave me John Waters. It gave me the slapstick kind of humor of Scary Movie. Yeah. It was like a newer version of that. And so I do think a lot of people are going to hate it. I think for me, like I really, really liked it. It's my kind of humor. I think it was really, really fun. I do think especially seeing Aaron do improv and knowing like what a genius they are. Oh, do you know Aaron? Yeah, did I mention that? Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 thanks. (laughs) I'm not going to give it six out of six because I I can imagine that they can make something even funnier because I have, like, had my sides hurt Mm. from watching Aaron do improv on YouTube, you know? So I'm going to give it a four. Mm -hmm. Mm. Okay, cool. I like to interpret our ratings as kind of like the queerness is kind of part of what we're rating here. Oh, well, this is added in now. No, no, you can do whatever the fuck you want and interpret it however you want. And I think this is a this is a brilliant queer movie because of all of the meta commentary it has, the layers of stuff that it is referencing, the influences that it had that you talked about, a load of like the horror, the sexuality, everything, I think is batshit and really left of field. But I think I really enjoyed this movie. Even though I don't think that there's many like great songs in it, I, I think that there's like some of the set design is a little bit wanting, but I think this is a great queer movie and I cannot wait to see what Aaron and Joshua do in the future because I think that this is just a fascinating look at kind of like their brains so I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it four as well and I'm gonna give it red for sex because there was twincest I'm gonna give it orange for healing because they healed the family I'm gonna give it green for nature, because I feel like in the sewer, everything smelled like piss. And that's a natural thing for stuff to smell like. And then I'm going to give it spirit, which is purple. Is that the full rainbow? Then? Is that all? The- no, that's missing. That's missing yellow and blue. Ah, uh, what are those? There's well, you weren't listening. There, yellow. A lot of words. Yellow is unlike it's a it's it's a terrible rating system. It's an awful rating system. I feel like the straight people when they're like, "What LGBTQ? That's so many letters." And I'm like, "It's so easy." But actually, when you hear it for the first time, it's not easy. Yeah, it's a lot of words. I think I just to echo something you said. I think in terms of how different it is and how queer it is, that is like stellar. Yeah. Like, it is surprising to see in a cinema on this, like, this kind of level. This kind of work. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I think it is really, like... And I'm so glad it was given 
I think I feel like all of the budget went on the cast. I think this is also an amazing cast. Why the fuck is Megan Me Sally in there? But I think all I feel like all of the budget went on the on the casting, and I would love to see what this team does in the future with maybe more funding to be able to kind of like really ramp up some of the music production, some of the set design, and all of those kinds of things to really take it to another level. But I loved it. Yeah, I would be so curious. Because ultimately, it is still like a really big budget project. Mm-hmm. Like, how much of what they wanted to do was not allowed or had to be changed yeah. or tweaked? Because, like, I do, like I said in my rating, like, I know that they are comedic geniuses. Mm-hmm. And this is like the end product that, oh my God, I had to work with a government project once. And the amount of red tape. Mm -hmm. is insane Mm -hmm. and as a creative as an artist you know i'm an artist and a creative yes you know that i'm very talented very talented it is insane (laughs) how diluted and worse things become once you get other people having a say on what you're Mm. allowed to do and i think like it doesn't seem like that happened a lot with this film but maybe it did a little bit there was a lot of yes being said yeah which is great Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy these episodes, we ask you consider supporting us on Patreon. As a patron, you can join the Queer Movie Club where we do watch-alongs in our Discord each month. But that is the bare minimum. At higher levels, you can also get our movie recommendations and a monthly newsletter with a curation of all of the gay stuff that we find on the internet. Speaking of things that we find on the internet, David, where can people find you? I'm on the internet and you can find me. David Puck, P-U-C-K, or you can read it written down, (laughs) drag. And David Puck, artist, if you like painting. Lovely. Thank you very much to Jennifer and Toby for supporting us on the highest tier on Patreon. You, along with the rest of our supporters on Patreon and in the Discord, help us to keep this podcast going. Make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast so that you are notified of our next episode. We have been Jazza John and David Park. Wait, I want to say my name. We have been Jazza John and David Park, and we're edited by Sparkles. Thank you very much, Sparkles. Thank you much, very much, my Dolens. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>